Greetings this morning in the name of Christ. It's good to be here this morning. Thank you all for coming and showing your interest in growing in the Lord today. The title for the message this morning is a 2020 vision for growth. Whether that's a pun or not, I'll leave that up to you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 for the passage. The one thing I want to think about and us to think about together is at times a Christian life is promoted and perceived as a life that is a good self-help regiment. We read scripture, look at the fruit of the Spirit, look at humility, and even Forbes says humility is a good thing, right? Um, look at humility, look, look at the different love, joy, peace, and look at those things and we think, you know, I need to do better. I really need to do better. <clears throat> I need to be more loving. I need to be more joyful. And if you're not thinking that, the guy beside you or the lady beside you is thinking that. All right, So somebody's thinking that about you. But the commands of Scripture are not laid there for us to have a self-help outline. That's the modern view of judgment. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 5, Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal lives. And that was the belief of their day. The Scriptures show us how to be a better person. So if I try harder to be a better person, I will be acceptable to God. He says, Search the Scripture, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. So what I want us to consider this morning is it's easy to go away from church and say, you know, I need to be more loving. I'm going to work on that. Well, we already saw what you worked on and how far you got up to that point. It's probably not going to get a lot better going out the door as it came in the door unless there's something greater. And that is, there's a greater connection to Jesus Christ and He can change that in our lives. That when we see Scripture, they testify of Jesus and we come to a deeper outpouring of surrender to Him and He changes us. The changes of growth. How do we grow? The changes of growth are brought when there is a deep abiding presence of the living Spirit of Jesus Christ. A deep abiding presence of the written Word. So we understand the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and the change the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish as we yield ourselves and surrender ourselves into a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. But what I'm really trying to say is summarize in this statement. It's only His Spirit that can bring change to our hearts. It's not hearing a self-help and saying, you know, you really need to be more joyful. Come on, guys, put a smile on your face. Don't look so long-faced. You need to be more loving. It's more than going out the door saying, I want to be more joyful, I want to be more loving. Those things can only be accomplished when the Holy Spirit does a deeper work in our being and brings that change about. I, this is what I struggle with. I don't know if you struggle with this or not. I see this struggle all over with the people that I interact with. And that is the struggle to eliminate guilt. Nobody here likes guilt. And so, this is how we eliminate it. This is how I can eliminate it. I have a commitment to do better. Okay? Hey, you're not loving as Jesus loved. Yeah, but 
I got a commitment to do better. And because of that commitment, I don't need to feel guilty or condemned. There's no condemnation to me because I have a commitment to do better. Jesus, Jesus will help me do better. And you know, we treat Jesus like a supplement. You take your supplements, iron and vitamin D. You take your supplement, it'll make you a better person. I'm telling you, people get all fired up about supplements. I'm not saying supplements are a little deal. Just ask people who want gut health. Supplement. Man, it will change your life. Who want to eliminate brain fog? Oh, you know, oh, you know, I had so much brain fog. And you know, what would be funny is just somebody to say, I'd like to say amen. <laughs> I had so much brain fog. But I started taking this supplement. Man, can I think. Concentrate, memory. Supplements are a big thing. These will make you feel better. These will bring you better bone health, better gut health. Take these and eliminate brain fog. Take these and you'll grow hair like a collie dog. There's a supplement for everything, even a supplement for a supplement. And we really like supplements. So you hear the truth of, you know what, you're not loving You're not humble like you should be. Jesus is going to help me be more loving. Jesus is going to be more, help me be more humble. Let me take the Jesus supplement. He's going to help me. And what we're missing on that is guilt. If we fail in God's law, you're guilty before God. See, if somebody says, you know what? I don't need just a supplement. I'm actually guilty. I I haven't loved like I should. I'm guilty. And you know what? If somebody recognizes their guilt, they'll recognize something else. I don't need a supplement. I need a Savior. Because the Savior can set me free from guilt and sin. I think we, in our modern day, look at Jesus as a supplement rather than a Savior. And supplements aren't wrong. But that's not who Jesus is. He's our Savior. You know, if I had bacterial meningitis, that's a disease that they say probably you have hours to live. And there is a remedy. I wonder, everybody who's singing the song of their awesome supplements, I wonder if they find out if they have bacterial meningitis, they would say, ah, let me go get some more of my supplement." It's never going to save them. There's only one thing that's going to save somebody with bacterial meningitis, and it will cure them. And that is intravenous antibiotic. It's something outside of yourself that's pumped into you to cure you of your bacterial meningitis. When you have something that's causing death, you don't run for a supplement. Same way in our spiritual life, you run for a Savior to deliver so 
that was a long introduction. We're still not in Ephesians 1. But I wanted to understand something as we look at the topic of Christian growth. If you're here at the beginning of the year saying, I'm going to have a better marriage, I'm going to have love, I'm going to have joy, I'm going to be humble, I'm not going to be stubborn anymore, I'm going to have a year of growth. It's not going to happen. Unless we recognize a guilt, a failure, and we bring that over to a Savior. And I'm telling you, when we bring it to the Savior, He can more than enable by His Spirit to overcome. Um, I'm going to get ahead of myself if I'm not careful. But there, this is not a message of bleak condemnation. This is a message of hope. But we too many times turn to the wrong thing and view Jesus as the wrong item in our life. If you don't recognize guilt in your life, you don't recognize your need for a Savior. We will never have true growth because we lack abiding in the presence of the Savior whose Spirit brings that growth. Because there's something that that guilt brings us to. Now, if I... If somebody here recognizes this morning, you know, I'm not humble like I should be. I'm going to work on that. It doesn't bring you to the Savior. But if you recognize I'm not humble like I should be, and God's commanded me to be humble, I am guilty before God, you'll bring it to the Savior. And you know what the Scripture says? In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the richness of His grace. When you bring guilt to Christ... You get grace. If you're coming and just saying, I want to do better, there's no guilt. Friends, there's no grace. There's no grace to overcome. When we humble ourselves and recognize our guilt before God, that's when He can pour out His grace into our hearts. And and I love Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, that was Ephesians 1-7. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And it draws this picture of guilt. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Turn to First Samuel chapter 24. <clears throat> but God who is rich in mercy. Now, I love that term. When we think of rich, you think of somebody with a huge wad of cash. Uh, I've had, I don't know if it's a privilege or the otherwise, of meeting a few extremely rich people, people that want to invest in business, people that drive around town saying, you want that you want that store, I'll buy you that store and move Miller's Market in there. Just, I'll buy it for you today. It's like, what kind of money you got? Looking him up online, he's a multi-millionaire. That he's rich. Now, how would you feel going up to, uh, what is his last name? First name is Matt. How would you feel going up to Matt and saying, you know what, I'm dying of thirst. And we're here at Miller's Market. Could you buy me a bottle of water? Or can't you quite afford that? 
Could you buy me a bottle of water to cover it? Fifty cents. You say, well, that's ridiculous. The guy's rich. He could pull out his wad of cash and go through the hundreds. Here's a five. Take that. I don't need that. And listen, richness for God, it says God who is rich in mercy. First of all in Ephesians, and there he says, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. There's more than enough there. There's more than enough there in his mercy department to cover whatever you got wheelbarrowing in. All the guilt that we can muster up and put in a wheelbarrow and drag in here today. God who is rich in mercy says there's way enough mercy here to cover what you're dragging in. But we got to admit we're guilty. We, we can't just say, you know, I'm going to do better. I really, and I am doing better. I'm doing better in love. But self-control's out the window and whatever else is out the window. We have to be connected to Jesus Christ for growth. God who is rich in mercy. David was a man after God's own heart. That's why I chose this passage. David, I believe one of the largest things that made David a man after God's own heart was he knew what guilt was. He didn't just brush it off. When they told him, you're the man, he didn't say, well, let me tell you about my grandpa and how he treated me. And let me tell you how my mom, and let me... He said, I have sinned. He said, well, yeah, that's quite the display of guilt. But David wasn't just accepting guilt in the big stuff. All of us would accept guilt in the big stuff, I hope. But what about the little stuff? Just the tiny stuff. That's why I bring you to 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. David's heart smote him with something called guilt. And it came to pass when Saul was returning from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. <clears throat> and he came to the sheep coats, by the way, where there was a cave. Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. The men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy in thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good to thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David's heart smote him with something called guilt. Now many hearts would say, okay, I just got to, I was asking my children, how big do you think the portion of skirt that he cut off would have been? How, what's your imagination? I don't know. But many hearts would say, you know, compared to what Saul's done for me and to me and how he abused and afflicted and tormented me, what's this little piece of cloth? I didn't hurt him. But David had something that smote his heart and it's called guilt. 
And friends, because he recognized guilt, it was able to bring him to grace. And it made David a man after God's own heart. It made him a man who was overcoming even the most despicable situations and circumstances. David was an overcomer. And it wasn't because David had some self-help supplement. It was because he recognized, I need a Savior. Because David brought his guilt to the one who is rich in mercy. I don't care what your history is, or how you smell, or how you dress, or what you think you are. There's not a person in here who does not need a Savior who is extremely, extremely rich in mercy. I was talking with a younger man who has left the faith. And he told me, here's why I don't go to church. My mom seemed very godly at church. At home she trashed the preacher. She trashed other ladies at church. There was no one good enough for her. And she had no shame and she had no guilt about it. We can sneer at the lady who lost all her children to the world. But friends, it's easy to become a person who fails God's standard. One who lives without guilt for doing something that is strictly spoken of in Scripture. Don't go there. Guilt. How can it be that God uses guilt to bring growth? Because guilt brings us to the Savior who is rich in mercy. There's some people who are living on the edge. On the edge of sensualism. What I'm saying is we're getting tight dresses, we're getting trendy things, we're getting, we're getting on the edge of sensualism. Friends, if you're on the edge of sensualism, you're not next to Christ. There's not going to be spiritual growth. We get people on the other side. Right on the edge of schism. I don't like that blue shirt. I really don't like that blue shirt. That really bothers me. And we use an opinion to divide and to cut because we're so opinionated. Okay? So we have somebody on the edge of sensualism. We have people on the edge of schism where it doesn't take much. I'm sick of it. I'll divide that relationship. I'm tired of it. Friends, if you're on the edge of schism, you're not next to Christ. You'll never grow. It's only as we're in Christ that we can grow in love and joy and peace and grow in the fruit of Christ-likeness. Friends, it's so necessary for us to recognize the blessing of guilt when we cross the lines that God has commanded us. Whether it be husband, whether it be wife, whether it be children, whether it be whatever area of life, it is so important that we recognize it and that we accept the guilt and take it to the Savior. Paul says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy 
that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. This is a faithful saying. Worthy for everybody to accept Christ Jesus came to save me. I needed a savior. I needed way more than a supplement of saying, Paul, do this, do this, and you'll live a better life. I needed a savior. Friends, when we have guilt, it brings us to the Savior. And the Savior, it brings us to grace, is what I'd like to say. It brings us to grace. The grace of God is not something where He barely has enough to cover what you got going. He says, I'm rich in grace, in Ephesians. I'm rich in grace. The fact that we say, you know, I just can't overcome thought life, can't overcome bad relationships, I can't overcome these tendencies I have, except guilt, look to grace. He's rich in grace. Grace, um, I appreciate what the one man, uh, I think it was John MacArthur, um, only those who are truly aware of sin can truly cherish grace. Grace is the love that gives. The love that loves the unlovable. <clears throat> grace is there for us and it's more than adequate to fill our need. And you know what grace brings to us? First of all, we need to recognize guilt. We come to the Savior who is full of grace. And then grace does something in our hearts. If you truly recognize you have something you don't deserve, and you have life that you don't deserve, there will be something that happens in your heart. Simon was having a good day. Food, fun, and fellowship. It was all happening at Simon's house. This was a good day, and you know, it was a good day because all the local supplement salesmen were there. They were having a good time. And then a prostitute walked in and falls at the feet of Simon's special guest and starts sobbing and her tears are hitting the floor and now they're hitting the special guest. And that's Jesus. And Simon is saying, Ugh, there goes fun, food, and fellowship. Somebody got to tell her something. Somebody got to tell her this isn't acceptable. Least you can be appropriate. Somebody has, Jesus will tell her, he don't mince words. The tension was electrifying, the audacity, but Jesus will tell her. You know, Jesus didn't have anything to say to the lady until he talked to Simon. Jesus turns and looks at Simon, it says, and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, everybody was thinking, surely he's going to tell that lady. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, she knew her guilt, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Then he turned to the woman, and now he's going to tell the woman. And he said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Gratitude. 
We recognize guilt. We come to the much needed grace. There's no one who leaves that encounter without a life of gratitude. There is no way. Can I talk to you about, I believe that, who would, here's a quiz. Who do you think is the most grateful man in Scripture? As you think and their expressions, who would you say was the most grateful man in Scripture? Any ideas? It's an opinion, alright? So we can be wrong and still be right. Naaman was a grateful man. Thinking somebody who spoke many, many times of gratefulness. I'm sure Paul was a very grateful man. I just read those verses. I was thinking of David. How many times did David say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Who is one of the greatest sinners in Scripture? Well, they're all great sinners. You could list off sins of David, big and small. And you know what? You got somebody with a lot of guilt. But he found grace and he lived in gratitude. And his life grew beyond what anybody could have ever imagined. He's just a shepherd being chased by a king. But his life grew because he was connected to a Savior with grace. And he lived in gratitude which brought growth. He needed a Savior. If you can, say the first five verses of Psalms 103 with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You said it right. I was testing if you knew it. I said, who forgiveth thine iniquities. That's not what it says. It says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. We have a Savior who has more grace than you have guilt. But the question is, is are, do we recognize ourselves as somebody who needs a Savior? Or are you a pretty good person? And the Jesus supplement will make you just a little bit better, even remarkable. A publican came into the temple one day with a wheelbarrow. In his wheelbarrow, he was loaded down with enough guilt for all of us. He didn't even lift up his head to look to heaven. He simply smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a guilty man. And you know what? wasn't up in heaven counting to the last dollar to forgive that man's sin. He forgave all his iniquities and there was more than enough grace and more than enough mercy to forgive that man. And why is that? Because he humbled himself and recognized, I am a guilty man in need of a Savior. There's another man who stood a stone's throw away. Same temple, same place, same day. And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and says, God, I thank you for the supplements you've allowed me to enjoy. They've changed my life. I follow Scripture, and it's changed me, and I'm going to continue doing better. 
And that man went home condemned. The most grateful man that I feel consistently is the man David. And the reason I say that, um, because so many times in Psalms he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And then he makes this statement. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. When you're looking at a Savior, you could write down benefits until we run out of time and need to go home to bed. He has blessed us in so many ways. But he says, don't forget all his benefits. You know, when we become ungrateful, the reason we become ungrateful for whatever it is, uh, you can be ungrateful for the church, you can be ungrateful for your family, be ungrateful for your spouse, you can become ungrateful for God. There's no question we can do these things. And how do we become that way? It's when we tend to remember what we should forget, and we tend to forget what we should remember. They, they work against each other. We naturally tend to remember the things that we should forget. And Satan's right there saying, you sin back there. You're paying consequences now. There's no way God loves you. There's no way. And Jesus said, look, my grace more than covered that. You're forgiven, man. You have confessed. You have forsaken. You are forgiven. And the enemy cannot bring that to our attention. We need to remember all his benefits. And then it says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. We have a Savior that we can rejoice in. We tend to forget what we should remember. We tend to forget God says my grace is more than sufficient for whatever you're in. To carry you through, to bring growth into your life. Are you willing to admit when you fail, are you willing to admit I'm guilty? I need a Savior. When you're walking in victory, do you with joy in your heart and thankfulness in your heart lift up, I have a wonderful Savior. And I am a man who needs a Savior. Guilt, grace are so vital to gratitude. And those three things are so vital to what's called growth. I believe the number one reason we lack spiritual growth is because we lack in a deeper abiding presence of Jesus Christ. The reason we lack in a deeper abiding presence of Jesus Christ in day-to-day life is because we fail to recognize guilt. We're pretty good people. We barely need a Savior. But guilt is what drives us to grace. Grace, grace drives us to gratitude. Gratitude drives us to growth. I... Uh, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon made the statement, there's no one who has met Jesus, who truly has met Jesus, who is not excited about Jesus. There's no one who's truly met Jesus who is not truly excited about Jesus. And as we've received grace, brothers and sisters, as we have received grace for guilt, 
If you've received grace for guilt, so you also will give grace to those around you. Grace is the love that gives. That love that loves the unlovely. And I appreciate what A.W. Tozer said, if I'm not sharing grace, have I forgotten the grace I've been shown? If I'm not sharing grace, have I been forgetting the grace I've been shown? I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to forget what I should remember. Some days my home aren't full of grace, and it's because of Todd Miller. Not extending grace like I've been given grace. Sometimes in churches there's, there's struggles. And you know, we'll never come to a place of perfect understanding until we're in heaven. But friends, as we work and as we look at things and as we look at a building project, is there going to be disagreements? However many people, 115, there'll probably be 115 opinions. And that's where we need this thing. As you've been shown grace, give grace to others. Extend grace to others. It will help us grow as a church then. First of all, for our spiritual growth, we need to recognize our need of a Savior and our need of grace. And then as we receive it, we can help growth in our communities, in our churches, as we extend the grace that other people actually don't even deserve. It's not about who they are. It's about who you are because of what Christ has done in your life. If you're able to kneel, will you kneel for prayer this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you for the truth in Ephesians chapter 2. Thank you that you're rich in mercy this morning for your great love. And I thank you, Lord, that we have a marvelous Savior, one who can reach the unreachable, who can love the unlovely. And Lord, that was all of us. Thank you for the grace that we can find in our Savior. Lord, I pray that we would truly this year have growth in our lives because of a deeper connection, a deeper commitment, a deeper realization of our desperate need for grace in our Savior. Lord, that we would share that grace with those around us, that they can see the beauty that the Savior has caused in our life, not because of something we've done, but because of recognition of guilt and realizing only you can bring the change that you desire to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.